The year is 1974. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, a comic book reading club podcast where we go through all of the best Marvel stories from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the Marvel Comics newbie, and alongside Dave, we're going to be going over the back half of 1974. And Dave, I only have one thing to say to you today. What's that? Prepare for Mind War! Oh yeah, Mind War. Love it. Give me that whole page. That Mind War page is so good because Thanos and Moondragon are like... They look like they're in a buddy cop movie. They like, during the mind war, they're back to back, butt to butt, like facing away from each other, looking yeah, over yeah. their shoulders. And it just, it, I mean, it looks like a 1980s Shane Black buddy cop movie. It's very good. Man, what I would give for Shane Black returning to the MCU for Thanos oh, and Moon oh, Dragon please. psychedelic please. moon cop buddies. That would moon be cop. incredible. Moon cop buddies. Yeah, let's do it. All right, today, we're, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the 1974 comics of the Marvel Universe. This is part two. If you missed part one, go on back because there's some good ones there. Um, but of course, today we got, this is a pretty loaded roster of, of comics to talk about in part two of the reading list. We're going to go through the Thanos vs. Avengers War with Captain Marvel, of course. We're going to talk about some Shang-Chi. We're going to talk about uh, some Deathlock introduced to the Marvel Universe. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we got the debut of another Canadian. I don't know if Deathlock's Canadian. Probably not. Definitely not. Everybody's uh, favorite Canadian superhero, Wendigo. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> we no, oh wait, directions. wait. Can I take this? <laughs> I need to take that whole joke again. Everybody's favorite Marvel character that starts with a W, Wendigo. Mm, better. Or, worse, better. Oh, better? Better the second time? I didn't. I mm, I'm just being nice. But anyway, oh, we got all that, some Kang and Avenger stuff. So we're going to go through it. Of course, if this is your first time listening to My Marvelous Year, this is the show where we go through the Marvel Comics universe from its origins to today. You can find all the reading lists in the show notes of the podcast. You can find them over on patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear where we get all of our support. And if you like the show, please rate and review on iTunes because then more people can find us and join the reading club and we can all talk about these cool Marvel comics together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, and thank you yeah. to all of our... Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for rating and review. Not you. Oh, you were talking to me. No, you are well com compensated for this. You don't get my thanks. Uh, thanks for ratings and reviews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for backing us on Patreon. Um, actually, you do back us on Patreon, so you are just that's right. I don't know if we've talked three dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if we've Patreon. talked about my Patreon, uh, my Patreon conflict Herald money laundering scheme yet. So maybe I'll save that for the uh, live Q and A. Well, I also, I mean, so you as Comic Book Herald patronize my marvelous year. I as my marvelous year patronize comic book herald yeah but when uh, you so, do it it's so patronizing i got it it's really condescending i'm not sure i'm into it I, I, you know what's my favorite joke about that is is correcting some when they say patronize when someone says that's so patronizing to correct them and say actually it's pronounced patronizing <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> nice all, all right. right so let's get no, into wait, the marvel wait, comics wait, wait. oh okay we got thing. an announcement first stick around to the end of the show for the surprise reveal 
of our guest for 1975. I decided right. I'm going to un- unveil it in this episode. It's the first ever My Marvelous Year guest host, and Zach's going to unveil it because, let's see, this is 74 Part 2. The next episode you're going to hear is a 1974 variant cover, and then when we come back for 1975 comics to read and all new, all different X-Men, we got a guest host. So Zach will be announcing that at the end of the episode. I, for one, am excited to hear who it is because it's not <laughs> yeah, me. Dave, Dave was not on the episode, and the... uh Sneak peek, the poll of 1975 is whether I bring back Dave or just keep this host on. That would be hilarious, but also very upsetting. It's going to be, there's going to be a little dissonance because I recorded that 75 part one before I read any of 1974's comics. So there's a lot of stuff in there that I'm just like, wait, what happened to the swordsman? Like, (laughs) without context. Yeah, I skipped a whole year. So, uh. If that happens, you know, so a little patience, please. Okay, okay. Let's, uh, let's jump into it. So the first sequence that we read is the Avengers vs. Thanos War. This is the pages of Captain Marvel primarily. Really, it's a Captain Marvel vs. Uh, Thanos comic, but it's been repackaged as Avengers vs. because, lo and behold, that's become the biggest thing in cinematic history. But the issues we read were Captain Marvel 31 to 32, Avengers number 125, and Captain Marvel 33, and then 34 is sort of an epilogue. This is Ooh, one about- of very few little crossovers we have done so far in MMY, and definitely one of the biggest ones. I mean, this is an event-sized comic uh, for all intents and purposes. Yes, yes, definitely. What about Daredevil 107? That's in the list. So Daredevil 107 uh, is up front if you want to throw that in. It's kind of a... That's actually one of like the first um, kind of like not necessary tie-ins, you know, in Marvel history. Yeah, so, like, yeah. Tie-ins, obviously, with events now are a huge thing. You get oodles and oodles of them, and some are... They contribute to the story in interesting ways, and some really don't add much value at all. Daredevil 7 is totally one of those where it's like, well, this is a part of the story, and that's interesting, but you don't need to read Daredevil 107 to enjoy this. Can we go over it just a little bit? Because there's, like, some weird... It's not great, but there's some weird stuff that happens that I think is interesting. Is this... And... So I didn't read it heading into this. Oh, okay. This. I, is I'll, this I'll... the one where Daredevil and Black Widow basically, like, swing through the event? Uh, Am I thinking of I something else? No, it's not really connected. It's Terax, which is this big, like, golem creature that this man come, brings to life, and he, he, I don't know, he sucks the life out of things, basically. It's just a big green giant that is, you know, reaching, wreaking havoc. So he's like most land. of my jokes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, so the thing is, Terex doesn't matter. He never comes back the uh the marvel universe he dies here in this issue but he dies in a really strange well, way this which is this yeah oh is there another ta- okay terax uh, the tamer terax the terrible okay captain america has this like you know he's got his cosmic understanding now and he shows up here and he talks to moon dragon captain about marvel. what did i say captain america which his cosmic oh did i say captain america yeah i did very entertaining captain marvel explains to moon dragon about the concept of unlife which is not death but it's like i don't know it's you know like a nihilist scrolling teenager. through twitter that's what it is yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and uh and the way that they defeat this guy is that there's a character named angar the screamer who in a previous <laughs> issue here's the thing is that terax is actually a pretty interesting character and you're like oh bummer he's never coming back angar the screamer starts out this issue with terax having killed his girlfriend and he's this weird, he looks like a Viking, but he's just a hippie, and he screams, and that's his thing, and he's 
very confusing. Mm-hmm. He's going to be around forever, apparently. I looked him up on the wiki. He's got a huge Wikipedia page. So Angar <laughs> the Screamer is like the reason to read this, I guess. Cause... Yeah. Anyway, he Moondragon like puts the idea of unlife in Angar's head. He screams out the concept of nothingness. I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we get this really crazy scene where Terax basically collapses and dies from the terror of, like, fully understanding Oblivion, which is a weird sequence. Like, there's a point where he finds an egg floating in blank nothingness, and then he cracks it open. What's inside? More nothing. And it kills him. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a cool... It's kind of a cool scene. That's some good... uh, So, yeah, we are in the 1970s. There's some good psychedelic, like, blow-your-mind type stuff. Yeah, And that sounds like a pretty good example. There's also a really jarring scene where Angar, like, pulls over his car... And his girlfriend has been killed. She's like a withered husk. And when he goes to touch her, she just crumbles into dust. And it's very upsetting. Like, it's a genuinely jarring moment in this comic. So, I, I don't know. I seriously I want to follow up on more Angar the Screamer comics uh, after you, this conversation. Do you know of him in the future? Does he, like... I don't know okay, a thing about him. So, the fact that you said he's got a dense Wikipedia page makes me think, I've yeah, got I'm a gap. Do a, I've got a blind spot. I'm going to do an Angar the Screamer uh, Patreon request for Comic Book Herald. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'm actually pretty curious to check it out. <laughs> All right, All so right. Uh, Captain Marvel, right? So Captain Marvel. Last we saw of Captain Marvel, basically we've gotten to the point where Thanos has the Cosmic Cube. Everyone is quite concerned, as they should be. Now, in the pages of Captain Marvel, Thanos has been... This is his debut, right? This is his origin in the Marvel Comics universe. He's been built up by creator Jim Starlin, who is writing and drawing and, and plotting and conceiving You know most things that are happening in these comics. Um... Thanos has been built up as a really compelling big bad. He's a spacefaring cosmic entity from the planet Titan. And with the cosmic cube, he wants to become God, right? So he is using the cube to, and and we find out in these issues, he is destroying for his love of death, who is death personified. So this is also the debut of Lady Death. Yep. Here, uh, Thanos is one of few if not the only, who can actually see her. And she is, um, basically, she's wearing, like, a hoodie cloak, and she is occasionally pretty, like a pretty lady, and occasionally just a skull. (laughs) Oh, it's very cool. I love that she has that, like, duality of, depending on, I guess, her mood at the moment, or, uh, you know, what she's responding to. She's either just, like, a silent, beautiful, pale woman, or, you know, just kind of a, a unadorned skull. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting here, because this is, so this is the the main like the main point of thanos for a long time his main goal is to impress lady death like he wants to win her hand that's his thing so interesting it's It's very interesting especially given how differently i think mass culture pop culture now would know the character right because this is like a household name and he is not literally pining after a woman (laughs) <laughs> in uh, the MCU, right? This is, so yeah. this is the Thanos I always knew. I like what they did in the MCU. What did you think? Uh, we, we were just talking here? about this in the Slack, I think, yesterday, because I was reading this. I think... No, I agree. I like the Thanos in his uh, in the movies, even if like he feels pretty naive in his philosophy, right? Like It feels like kind of a, a 16-year-old's understanding of... <laughs> how to bring balance whatever um very very literal interpretation of right of population right right control, yeah sure. it's a very like you know libertarian's idea of uh oh okay. liberburn 
Yeah, sorry. It, I mean, there's no... He, he comes across as like a 16-year-old libertarian, and who's worse than an ill-informed libertarian? You're libertarian uh, them a new one. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> um, anyway, so I like what they did, fine. But like, how resonant is it in 2018 when Infinity War came out about like Thanos just like pouring gifts on this woman on death, you know, mm. of like, and then she just shrugging it off and like turning away and him getting madder and madder that she didn't respond to him. Like that idea of, you know, this kind of like possession and ownership of a woman because you like, quote unquote, did the right things, right? You were the like nice guy who gave her the gifts and bought dinner or, you know, wiped out half the universe. So and what then... if Thanos in Infinity War was generating all of the complex and frankly controversial discussions that Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is doing right now? kinda yep, yep. <laughs> except that, that sounds... I would trust I would trust Disney probably not to uh, I don't know to like, never approach that which is what they did or, or to also to not to toe the line that it sounds like the Joker movie's doing where it's just like yeah you can walk away and be like man he's uh he was onto something oh no alright oh, no. I haven't seen Joker yet so I got oh no I it's, it's not even mind. out for a month I'm excited to see it yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious, but I, I see yeah. what you're saying. I think um, definitely the Starlin interpretation of the Thanos-Lady Death uh, relationship, it doesn't really raise a lot of those questions. I think you're putting no. them through the no, cultural no. lens of the present, which is interesting. Yeah. I don't disagree in any way, but well, it definitely he, it doesn't, doesn't have that vibe to it. Not yet. I think Infinity War, later when we read Infinity War in the late 80s, I think it comes in a little bit more. You're talking about, like, oh, so like the Infinity Gauntlet sequence? Infinity Gauntlet, yes. The, that's so that's early 90s. Yes. Yeah, we'll get there yes, too. Yes. So super excited to get there as well. Because but that, yeah. that has some similar stuff, but it goes a little deeper into like his psychology relating to his obsession with Lady Death and how he feels about her. Well, and there's a lot. Yes, for sure. And there's a lot too to Thanos in terms of like, okay, he's pining after this woman, but then when she spurns him, what is his reaction? And, you know, like, how how healthy is this mad titan in his quest for love, right? Because it's it turns enraged on occasion. But here, in the introduction, you know, he is trying to impress her. And the way to do that is to use the cosmic cube, become a god, chain Kronos, this Ooh, godlike good, entity good made of stars, a splash page that... Everyone should be screenshotting and sharing on the socials. Chronos uh, Chained is super, super cool. And it just shows, like, the cosmic scope of Thanos. And it also shows cosmic scope of any Marvel character, like, the best we've seen since uh, Eternity fought Dormammu and Doctor Strange back in the in the Steve Ditko days. Yeah, and that Chronos page is so clearly, like, winking at Kirby in those big Kirby splash pages while mm -hmm. also being totally just Starlin's own thing. It's really cool. Like, Starlin's style is really good here. And these page layouts, I just gotta mention, like, every page layout that Starlin is doing is really impressive, because he does a lot of recap here, and the way he does it is keep, like, tiny little, he'll do 12 small panels with, like, tiny little paragraphs, one-sentence descriptions just to, like, zap you to keep you up to date, and they're interesting enough that I often would read them, even though I knew exactly what was going on, because I'm in the middle of reading these comics. Really good stuff. He has that one page where Thanos is talking to death. And the, the top of the panel is a border with Thanos and Death standing next to them, next to each other. And then he goes down to having three panels side by side, and then two panels, and then one panel. And, like, just the way that, like, it's not just using the panels to have the story flow better, but it's using the layout to make the enti entire page itself look attractive, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's 
it's impressive, and it's some of the first times I feel like we've seen that. Like, I, we've been seeing the evolution of page layouts, and I feel like they've been using them more and more to, like, have the story flow a little better and have kind of a, a rhythm to when they zoom in and when they have minimal information. But now it's just, like, making, like, this page just looks, like, beautiful from a distance, regardless of what's happening in each panel. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a great distillation of, of what Starlin brings to the table. He's one of my favorite comics creators of all time. He's becoming one of mine. Like, yeah. I, I think this stretch might be my favorite story we've read in the club so far. It's like, it's I'm, quite excellent, yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's continue with the plot here a little. Thanos is sending a pirate fleet to conquer the Earth. So that's how we're going to get the Avengers evolved. Also, I would like to point out, because it's come back here a bit in uh, in, in the year of 2019, Thanos has pirates. <laughs> like, he's kind of a pirate captain. And that's a thing that yeah, almost gets yeah. overlooked, but he's like kind of a cosmic pirate captain. He's got all these, uh, you know, ruffians that do his bidding. And he's sending them to conquer Earth, okay? Because I believe... Well, this, this is, uh, what is this the is rationale? A messy. It's that, like, he wants the Avengers to leave Earth to fight these, you know, this crew of pirates or whatever. Uh-huh. And then when they do that, he's going to do something to the Earth, like move it in space-time, which unsinks the Avengers from the Earth's space-time, which means that they can't, like, interact with the Earth anymore, something like that. Like, that that part became a little messy for me. It's a little I, wonky. I think yeah, yeah. to to get at... Because one thing that I'm always interested in is, like, why does, why does Thanos even care? about the Avengers, because at, at this point, too, like, they haven't really thrown wrenches in his plan, but actually, he does make a point in these issues to say, like, the people that have vexed me so far are Captain Marvel, uh, Iron Man, actually, back in mm-hmm. his true debut yep. in Iron Man 55, so that's where you get a little bit of the Avengers connection, and then, like, Drax the Destroyer, Moon Dragon, etc., right? So, yeah. well, who should the- come to the rescue yeah. Go on. Yeah. in these pages? None other than Rick Jones to yeah. the MF and Rescue. Come yeah, on, Rick. Come and get it. There's a really I mean, cool panel here of Thanos like four times the size of Rick Jones. I love yes. that page. It's oh, that one's so good cool. because like, I, it's like you said, he's like four times the size, but not a giant, right? He's not like 50 times the size. So he just, and he has to crouch to fit in the room. So it really makes him imposing because it like looks like there's this very big man in the room who's like crouched over with you. And it just looks like, you know, there's a bear yeah. in the room with you. It has that immediacy of the threat. And I gotta ask, it lo- he was threatening RJ. How, how on a scale of one to ten, ready were you for Thanos to start spanking that boy? It didn't cross my mind, but now that you bring it up, that's a lie. That's a ball. I'm very lie. excited. <laughs> I have to stop recording for a minute. Okay, we're gonna take a quick <laughs> break. <laughs> and um, when we come back, more of the Thanos war. Yeah, so I mean, Thanos is going God mode here. He's got the cube. Wait, um, can I his- can I bring up? So he basically was god mode before he like literally turned into a god so that i mean that's something we should underline like he literally turns himself into an omniscient omnipresent god which is kind of interesting which just like again and again through this story they do that thing where it's like thanos wins he keeps winning and he keeps like outsmarting them and he keeps one-upping them which is very Mm -hmm. cool and something that they haven't let other heroes do like or heroes villains do and I think that really makes a difference because Thanos is just, like, immediately one of the best villains in Marvel. I think, like, he's right there with Green Goblin for me because, like, he's he just feels like such a threat. Um, First of all, Doom then, will not stand for that insult. Second I of all... Still, Doom still has not had a run for me that, like, has solidified him as, I don't know, like, a big player or really interesting. Like, he's fun in Silver Age Fantastic Four, but I still haven't had that, like, oh, man, Doom is cool moment. like. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least as a villain, he's had like some fun moments that are like personality-wise. That uh, that scene with like 
where he's fighting Satan for his mother's soul. Like, that's fun. And, like, that's pretty cool. But, yeah. like, I, I, I haven't felt like he's had a good plot, you know, that, like, really puts people in peril yet. Yeah, and I did. So I think the, the most direct comparison here, too, for a story is the time the Red Skull got the Cosmic Cube in its debut back in Tales of Suspense, which we read in the yeah. Silver Age. And it actually, oddly enough, it kind of has a similar vibe where it's like that story. I think it's Tales of Suspense 78 to 80. You know, Skull wins, right? Like, like Red yeah. Skull has yeah, won, yeah. and it comes down to Captain America kind of tricking him. And that's actually the same bent of really a lot of Thanos stories. Like, he tends to accumulate the power, here the Cosmic Cube, and then he tends to come down to, like, we can't pop—he's already won, we can't stop him, but we have to come up with some trick to get him to potentially come down to our level, and, and that's kind of how this sequence of event ultimately wraps up, because, there's, you know, there's some, he, he some can't of that. actually— there's some of that same stuff with the Red Skull where it's like Thanos has the Cosmic Cube, which in this comic is basically like the full-powered Infinity Gauntlet. Like he can transport somebody from one end of the galaxy to the other instantly, right? Yeah. And he's sitting up on his spaceship talking about like, you know, I'm about to finish my plan, I'm going to become a god, but I need to get rid of these few guys who are in my way. And so I'm going to like bring them to me, to my ship, and then like unveil my plan to them. And then, you know, leech the power out of them slowly or whatever. Like, he just does this, like, slow Bond villain thing where I was just like, if he has that power, just transport them into the sun, right? Like, he even actually at some point takes them while he's showing them Kronos imprisoned. He says, don't worry, like, those of you who need to breathe air, oxygen will be supplied. <laughs> like, yeah. he specifically, you know, keeps them safe and is mindful of their vulnerability in the vacuum of space. You know, I think we've definitely called that out in a number of stories, like the, yeah, sort of the Bondian thing where it's like, let me monologue so you have time to escape, which obviously has been lampooned and parodied at this point. I do think there's a version of that story that is very like, oh my gosh, he actually did it. But also the best villains tend to have the sort of ego where it's fun to watch them like rub it in their, in the hero's face. You know, and I think, I think Thanos has yeah. a bit of that. It is fun to watch him be like, here's what I did. I won. Suck it, Iron Man. <laughs> like, that's kind of compelling about him, that that is important to him. It also is clearly like a construct of the narrative and essential to retaining some element of drama. Because if he does throw them all into the sun, this story's over quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean... Uh, yeah, you're right. Like, that can be fun. I think it just wears on me when every villain does it because they all do it, right? You know, that, yeah, like, that probably happens to us two or three times per episode. We read a comic where the hero is in trouble and they say, you know, they have them in their clutches and they say, well, it's not worth the trouble to finish you off. Like, that happened earlier. The Daredevil episode or Daredevil issue, Terax, almost killed Daredevil and then left him paralyzed on the ground and just said, like, you're too insignificant for me to kill and walked away. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, it's a I understand. Balance. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just have to find that balance because sometimes that happens and it passes right by and I don't notice. Uh, something else we should mention is that we get the true origin of Drax the Destroyer. Yeah, we sure said do. Destroyer. God, my uh, thick tongue today, Dave. Yeah, a Draxian tongue. So he is one Art Douglas, a real estate agent and Elvis fan. the king, yep. Big Elvis fan. I had (laughs) forgotten both of those details, but they're very fun. Now, we've talked about how Drax is, you know, really quite different than uh, the modern comics or MCU understanding in these origins, but this is the point where it's, 
it's told that he was imbued with these powers uh, to become the destroyer by Kronos, the the father of Mentor, who is mm-hmm. the father of Thanos and Star Fox, a.k.a. Eros, on the planet Titan, one of Saturn's moons. Zach, you're a big astronomy guy. Is that a real moon, Titan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a real moon of Saturn. And also, I don't know anything about astronomy except for that. <laughs> <laughs> but that is real yeah no we talked about this before if i yeah. was but yeah um, so uh but yeah he's he yeah. uh is on his way to go see the king i think and he's driving he's on his and way back so it's just it's just important that like he did get his fill of the king oh he did yeah okay good good yeah 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 no yeah. i feel a little better about what's about to happen then because his whole family is destroyed in the car accident and well, not uh, quite just his well, wife well okay because yeah, his not, daughter not okay they get in a car accident because Thanos lands on Earth and I think just like lands nearby and uh, I don't know if it distracts him and he drives off the road or something. Yeah. But it is Thanos' fault. Um, but his wife, or no, his wife, his daughter is snatched up by, I think, Mentor and brought to Titan where she is raised as Moon Dragon. Can we talk about Moon Dragon. Dragon for a minute? Uh, Sure. What would you let's, like let's to a... start with? Okay. One, I'm kind of I'm kind of into Moon Dragon. Yeah, like, I thought you might whole... be. Her whole thing's pretty good. Like, that bald head kind of does it for me. Yeah, so Moon Dragon is completely shaved head. She wears mm-hmm. a very skimpy, what would you say, like a one-piece bathing suit with a cape uh, like a and with v. the belly yeah. cut out? Yeah. Or deep yeah, V, yeah. yeah, yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah. And she has psychic powers, which is what allows her to engage in Mind War. Mind War. With yep. Thanos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my wife had... Uh, had shaved her head bald like when we went on our first date. So, uh, and I was thinking about Moon Dragon the whole time. Oh but, wow, nope. getting a little personal here. Yeah, no I one, like no it. one, no one tell her that though. That she that you were thinking about Moon Dragon. Rose, Rose, cover your ears. Ten seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how um, you do spoiler warnings. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So Moon Dragon is a Moon Dragon and Mantis are huge players right now. Mm-hmm. They're becoming such big players. I think they're very interesting. But also, I feel like they could use a little more fleshing out with, like, what their deal Moon is. The dragon's got plenty of flesh out. But I'm... Oh, <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> You're doing good today. Oh, thanks, uh, buddy. Oh, I just noticed that Secret Wars on the wall behind you. Uh, disgusting. We're done. I oh, did you... Mics. God, I loved... Shut them down. That was, that was so funny that you, like... Um, did you see that on Facebook that you wrote like, hey, I got a new copy of Secret Wars signed on my wall. You put a picture of it. Uh-huh. And someone on Facebook who's not even in the Patreon club, like not yeah. the Slack, just wrote, take that, Zach. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that was at you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, well, it's funny because a different Zach responded like, hey. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. Um, no, that was but awesome. But it was like, it's not even someone that I've interacted with like on the Slack. Oh, he's not something. a club. Yeah, no. He no, must, no. I, I, that's I, the thing. I, we have I, listeners who uh, who aren't patrons and that's that's awesome. <laughs> I forget that's what's yeah, up. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was anybody really funny. can listen. It's free. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, what else is happening here? Okay, so Thanos sends this big fleet to Earth to distract the Avengers to like unshift them from space time. Blah blah blah. The way that they defeat him is he's like basically unstoppable. They literally can't do anything about him. And then Moon Mantis or Moon Dragon, because they're a little interchangeable at this point, talk with Captain Marvel and realize that like. They need to destroy the cube, even though the cube has been leached of power and Thanos tossed it aside when he became a god. And they have this really flimsy, like, one-panel explanation that shifts the whole thing. 
I, I wrote it down because it's so like the, the entire thing hinges on this one moment. Yeah, and I do want to call out before you explain it too. Like it is important to say here, he's not literally holding it like Red Skull was back when Captain America was just not anymore. Like, no, gave he him like, the old one too and made him drop it. You know, he he zapped, he sucked all the power out of it, and they it's all framed as if like he's a god now. He like took the power of the cosmic cube and he internalized yeah. it, and he doesn't need it anymore, and he threw it aside. Right, like. He threw it, like, in front of the Avengers so they could pick it up and it's useless. But then Captain Marvel says, Which Thanos wants taunt. worship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's pretty cool. Like, oh, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Captain Marvel says, Thanos wants worshippers too badly. His powers can't be self-generating. So he must still be drawing it from the cube. And now it's like, well, we have to destroy the cube and we'll get him. Which does lead to a incredible sequence where Captain America, Captain America, Captain Marvel, like, runs at the cube to karate chop it. And as he does... Thanos is like sapping the life from him and he's getting older and older. He basically he like reality gems him and everything's topsy turvy. He's falling. He's aging rapidly. And like before Captain Marvel basically ages into dust. Um, what is it? Raiders of the Lost Ark style, you know, and just crumbles yep. into nothing. He gets one final 70s judo chop. Yeah, the oh, they love the cube, judo chops right now. And it yeah. shatters. It's a it's a great sequence. It's a great fight. It's one of my favorite Captain Marvel issues, and it defeats the mad Titan in this yeah. uh, early incarnation. It's this story's so good. I mean, this is like this is probably the most essential seventies read we've done so far, I think. Sure. I mean, I don't remember, but yes. Good support. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I mean, I forget what I read. Yeah, know, yeah. No, I'm just ago. saying, like, it's definitely, it's of the scale I mean, besides, of Kree Scroll War. Stacey. It's definitely better. Um, okay, yeah, Death of Gwen is probably up there as well. But no, but, this is a must read. So I, mean, I it, hope no, you all Nothing else enjoyed. has solidified, like, Thanos is just, every time he's going to show up, based on this alone, it's a big deal, right? Like, yeah. it's immediately like, if you hear the word yeah, Thanos from now it. on, you're going to be like, Oh man. Okay. Well, we know what he can do because the first time he showed up, he became a god, and they just barely beat him. Yeah, and they kill him, which is a really cool moment that like Death uh, starts cackling. Like it's the first time we've seen her emote. She starts laughing, and you see Thanos's face like in her skull socket, like as he dies. It's very neat. I don't know how he's gonna come back. So sorry, spoilers. Yeah, Thanos very, is very not cool. gone forever. <laughs> um, well, obviously, we've talked about some stories. Yeah, season, no, so I don't, of I don't think we're spoiling I, I anything. I don't think I, people would. We, yeah. yeah, we won't spoil any details. I do think it's cool to mention, like you just said, I don't think anyone has a higher batting average of showing up and having it be a huge, big deal than Thanos from 1974 to about 2007. I mean, Kang has been... Kang has showed up probably about a dozen times in Marvel history so far. And yeah, but he showed up in that Strange them... Tales we read that I made us read where they go back in medieval times. That's a throwaway. Well, that's what I'm saying. None of them have been good. So, oh, I thought you were um, going the other way. Yeah, I know you were. Yeah, sorry. This is, that was my dig at you. Um, is that what's next? Is that what we're going to do next? Avengers? No, no. That, that's a little bit away. Okay. The, the other thing I just want to say, like, Starlin. Starlin's just an amazing writer because there's, like, a few nitpicks I can have with this story. But his storytelling, his storytelling is so compelling and so smooth that even like bad plot points just go down really easy, right? Yeah. Like it's it's really impressive stuff. Um, yeah. So that leads us into Captain Marvel number thirty-four, Nitro. Nitro. And you might be wondering, blows. He does. He does blow in every sense of the word. Nitro blows. Um, he is a villain that can blow himself up and then cool reconstitute idea. himself. 
uh, it, it sort of varies how often he can do this. You know, there are iterations where it takes him some time to reaccumulate and get that power back again. And kind of here we see him do it a number of times in a row versus Captain Marvel. The main takeaways that I have from this issue are, one, a little uh, a little seed planting for something that's going to happen later. Okay, yep. so, so that's there. We also have the return of Carol Danvers in this comic. She is back... And uh, she is heading up a new base, which promptly gets blown up by Nitro. <laughs> Carol yeah. Danvers has a rough early uh, early Marvel debut before she will become the Miss Marvel that we know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, every job issue. she has um, ends in abject disaster, I feel yes, like. Yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah, the thing about this issue is it's a kind of middle of the road Captain Marvel issue. It's pretty good, I'd say. I don't know. It's a big come down from what we just did, which is Uh, it's also necessary. Yeah, yeah, totally. We can't talk about the reason why we're reading this comic. I think is the uh, the takeaway, and that's not really giving anything away because you won't know what that means until the moment you know what that means. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, yeah, take it take it for what it is. Now the debut of Nitro and uh, a little epilogue in the pages of Captain Marvel that is going to take us in to. The next comic series that we read, we got two issues here, a couple one-offs, Marvel Premiere number 15 and Astonishing Tales number 25. The reason we read these are, one, the debut of Iron Fist, and two, the debut of Deathlock. Let's start with Marvel Premiere. This is The Fury of Iron Fist by Roy Thomas, Gil Kane, Dick Giordano on inks, Glynis Wayne on colors. Roy Thomas is not great at naming kung fu moves, Zach. I gotta say, no, I, I feel no, like I tried to defend generic. him here and there, but he is not... My favorite at that. He does that thing. So uh, I like this overall. It was nowhere near as good as the Shang-Chi intro for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason of that is that the action doesn't feel like you can just look at like the six panels of action and like read the flow of the fight because he like will show Danny Rand chopping, you know, like karate chopping some guy. And then he will explain like Iron Fist does a tiger blow followed by a donkey kick. Followed by, I don't know, a milkmaid's thrust. No, too... Okay, first oh. off, gross. Second, too clever. Because, yeah, the, the first couple you said were exactly what they were. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not I, it's not the best kung fu action. Definitely we're going to see much better in the pages of because, Master of Kung Because he's fu trying to, like, hands. make you read that, like... You have to read a little paragraph that just says, like... And here's the five punches that happen. And it's like, well, that's... I don't care. Like, you can't narrate punches unless you call them something cool like milkmaid's thrust um that, this is also that. the origin of uh, you know of danny Rand and how he became the iron fist i have a couple thoughts here uh basically danny's parents his dad specifically wendell rand they take them and his business partner something something meacham um they take him up into the snowy something or others you know what is himalayas, himalayas? yeah yep. uh and uh they're trying to find kunlun Wendell Rand thinks he can find the the mystical city. And Wendell Rand is a very bad dad. Oh, yeah. He takes a small boy and his wife and his clearly nefarious business partner up into <laughs> these snowy, dangerous mountains. And f- just go by yourself, Wendell. Like, go with your nefarious business partner. Why, why on yeah, earth sure. would you think you need to bring your wife and kid on this dangerous journey. If I said to you, I'm going to go climb the tallest, you know, I'm going to do, hey, have you seen, um, what's the movie, Free Solo? I'm really yeah, I'm gonna into do Free, Free Solo, Solo rock climbs now. Yeah. But uh, I'm hey, also going to- Hey, two-year-old son, hop on my back while I do it. That's Little what Von Doom Busing. 
Yeah, Von Doom, you hop on my back. We're going to free solo the <laughs> F out of this wall. Come on, Wendell. Terrible decision making. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, they, there's no explanation for why he needs to bring his family on this expedition. What I was thinking this whole time is that, like, man, the Himalayas are doing so much heavy lifting for Marvel as, like, the mystical mountains. Yeah. Because at this point... I feel like we've seen so many different, like, mystical beings and groups of people and locations in this mountain range that it's just, like, I, I kind of want to see them climbing up the mountain and be like, we're there. Was it Kunlun? And some monks just say, like, oh, no, no, sorry, we're the, uh, we, we make uh, masks for Doctor Doom. And then they move <laughs> on and, uh, like, oh, that must be it in the distance. Like, no, we're magical apes. Sorry, you're, uh, you're... <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at the next next mountain peak over, and then it's like, oh, no, this is the Ancient One's hideout. Like, there's so many different, like, mystical, magical places up here. Totally, totally. That'd be a really good gag. I 100% agree. Um, It's a pretty brutal origin for Danny's that, parents. That's, you know, that's they, like a, they do a, sorry, die. That's like an A-minus Deadpool comic right there. Like, I like feel they're like just I all just, next to each other? Yeah, I just wrote a better-than-average Deadpool comic, I think. It, it, it's 1974. Save your Deadpool critiques. <laughs> for the 90s okay yeah sorry go on <laughs> um but yeah no so his parents die and something happens to meet him i don't remember he gets back or whatever danny survives he's taken in by the monks yeah Meacham shoves his dad off the cliff and like i it's very lion I, king yeah but the uh the shot of his dad snapping his neck in like a bloody mm. explosion is that's what it was very upsetting like it's actually it's really visceral um and it just drives home like, oh, yeah, this little child watched his dad like, you know, his head just pop on a rock. And it's very, I don't know, it's pretty, it's pretty upsetting. Yeah, his I, mom, his mom. I, um, cried, I cried for a while. Yeah, it is an upsetting, <laughs> upsetting looking death. Uh, his mom basically gets Danny to Kunlun before she herself succumbs. Oh, she throws to herself at, wolves, into a pile of wolves. <laughs> yeah, she throws and, herself. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. No, so it's, the, uh, and the it's thing is, this, for a, you know, seven, eight year old. This story is being interwoven with an adult Danny Rand, like, doing his trial of manhood, right? Like, he's about to graduate uh, chopping school, and... <laughs> I almost spit out my water. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and like, there's literally one point where his master says, before you continue your trial, think back on everything that brought you here. And then it's just like, oh, it's origin time. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, the most, exactly. uh, yeah, bold-faced, or bald-faced origin it's a fine comic yeah uh, i thought it was good I like, iron fist. I like iron fist, iron fist i'm, I'm curious where like. where he's going so what's the deal with all these monks they're like dragon monks or something they're not dra they just have a dragon shao lao the undying oh, okay you wait they him. have they have a dragon yeah well god now we have to Sha cut this out again if you can defeat shao lao the undying you get the power of the iron fist well okay you keep oh we forgot to mention he fights a robot at the end for no reason. I don't understand. They just trot out a robot, and they're like, this is your final test. Yeah. Surprise, it's an android. We couldn't find anyone good enough to fight you. Are you good? Oh, I'm done. Are you good? Yep, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Astonishing Tales 25, which is the origin of Deathlock, a.k.a., well, I guess it's Luther Manning, a.k.a. Deathlock. And this That's is a right. story where everyone is a cyborg. Everyone. Yeah, this is plotted and drawn by Rich Buckler. This is scripted by Doug Mensch, I'm going to say, because somebody called me on the no prize in the Slack and said, it's definitely not Munch. Yeah, what a so, Mensch. What a Mensch, I guess. Um, Glennis Ween on colors and A. Kavecki on letters. Roy Thomas on edits. Uh, the Terminator came out in 1984, Zach. Did you know that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. This came out a decade before. 
This is very oh, Terminator-y. Okay. That, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I was just like, why are you talking to me about the Terminator? But for the very obvious reason that you're bringing up the Terminator. Deathlock is very much like a Terminator. Yeah, so he is a... It, you know, I, I found this issue very compelling. One, because I didn't read it in the first MMY Club, because it's since been added to MU. Two, because it feels like kind of a creator-owned style and vision, you know? Like, it doesn't feel like yeah. a typical Marvel Universe fair, which no, is really interesting. Not. Uh, Rich Buckler's got a great sense of visual layout. He's one of my favorite sort of underrated artists from this time period. We've talked about a bit of his work, including some on Rage of the Panther from this time period. But just like the vision of Deathlock here is very clear. I, I would recommend people who found this issue compelling to continue with Astonishing Tales. We're not going to include a ton of it in the list, but it's, uh, you know, because Deathlock is a pretty... He's a pretty minor supporting character, I think. Um, he's had his own series. He's interesting. Uh Generally, when he shows up, like it's kind of like to tie into some sort of future timeline or something, you know, it's it's usually more like a way to get other characters that are bigger to something else. I don't know that he's had like a real mm-hmm. starring role in, a, you know, in a bigger story in the MU as of yet, but he's cool. I, I like him. He's interesting. Colonel Luther Manning, he was made Deathlock as part of Project Alpha Mech, and he's got, you know, half his brain is... Uh, <laughs> encased in, in silver. Case in no, no, silver? that's not. That's not right. <laughs> we went to the same place. Yeah. <laughs> half his brain is like cyborg, and half his brain is you know human. And Luther Manning is like he's not you know big hero speak human. He's uh kind of very like willing to use lethal force and these sorts of things, right? Well, no, so, I mean he shoots a couple guys who are like literally crying and begging for their lives. So it's almost it's, it's kind of anti-heroish more so than even like the punisher is at this point in, no in yeah he literally kills two innocent men at the beginning of this comic that in like very i don't know very visceral in like upsetting ways like these are not faceless henchmen we zoom in on their tearful eyes as he like blows them away yeah um so yeah so Deathlock, <laughs> i thought uh when i first looked at him i was like well this sucks he looks like garbage and I'm not going to like reading this. And you don't like the, the cyborg look? I think his costume looks dumb. I like his face, but uh, yes, I think his costume's pretty cheesy. But yeah, you're right about that like creator-owned thing. Doesn't this feel like a DC comic to you? This doesn't feel like Marvel. Well, so I was just about to mention, I mean, when I think about it now, he is basically cyborg <laughs> from the DC universe. Well, no, because cyborg, well. like cyborg comes nice, later. He's like a nice kid who uh, had something happen to him. This guy's like... No, so visually. He, visually, I mean. Oh, like there, yeah, There are sure. a few visual Well, no, because he also looks like a corpse that has some robotics attached to it. That's true. Like, a little a little more zombie-like than, yeah. than cyborg from the DC side. Um, does it feel like a DC comic to me? Not necessarily. Um, it feels more like a, like a 2000 oh, AD yeah. thing. Well, like a well, future shock. Hmm. Yes, I know what that is. But let's continue. It's very, very British. You got to be very, a big Anglophile to know your 2000 <laughs> AD, of which I am. Hashtag BBC. Okay. Cheerio. All right, then. Let's move on to the next comic. Oh, wait. So, uh, no, there was something about Deathlock I was going to say. Uh, oh, yeah. He has that really cool thing where his, um, his, his human brain and his computer brain are kind of at war with each other in really interesting ways, where half the time he speaks in, like, analysis of emotions... Yeah. Sadness, unimportant at this moment. Quench. Like, and then the other half, he's just like, I'm going to kill those dirty rat finks just the way they screwed me. Like, he's got these two different jar warring emotional states that is really interesting. Yeah, it feels like he feels so fully formed right out of the gate. So and I could be impressive. overstating this. I don't, I can't think of an example, and possibly sound like a fool here, where uh, we've got like competing narrative 
or you know narration captions like this within someone's own head like there's two mm-hmm. competing mm-hmm. voices i think this is kind of the first we've seen of it and i always like that <laughs> when there's oh, two man. different did you styles. read um who's the fire guy in dc um who has this firestorm is that right <laughs> firestorm the nuclear man yeah i said johnny storm but yes oh okay <laughs> is it firestorm is that correct yeah yeah there's firestorm he has a series they got rebooted in like 2005 or something right so, somewhere around identity crisis uh-huh. and his yeah. whole deal is that he needs to like absorb another person in order to become all superpowered like he's got like and- the professor's voice in his head yeah no, 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 no. So that was the original Firestorm, who was like two different people who would combine, two specific people, and these two people would combine to become Firestorm. Uh-huh. In 2005, another kid, like a teenage boy, became Firestorm. Yeah. And they had this really, really cool concept where he needed to like absorb somebody else to unleash Firestorm. But unlike before, it's not like you and this other guy who's the other half of Firestorm. He just needed to grab someone, anyone. Anyone. To become Firestorm? Yeah. So it was this interesting thing where, like, he's kind of like a Peter Parker figure where he's like a teenage boy who's figuring out how to be a superhero. And every time he needs to turn, he would just grab, like, I don't know, a businesswoman or a homeless person or, like, a bully at high school or something. And they would be his running narrative in his head. And it's this really interesting idea where, like, while he's fighting or doing whatever as Firestorm, he has another point of view in his head that also, like, helps him work through both his heroing and his, like, teenage boy problems. And then when he dumped them out, they wouldn't remember any of it, right? Huh. Yeah. So it was this, like, really interesting way of bringing in outside voices and having, like, all these different perspectives. Every issue, you know, would have a different perspective on his life and his problems and, like, trying to, you know, get him to see different ways of uh, dealing with this stuff. And they kind of nixed it, like, I don't know, 15 issues in and got rid of that concept. And I thought it was so interesting. That is a good concept. I yeah. do quite like that. You know who else does narrative captions really well with different voices? Your boy, Deadpool, eventually. I'm... Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Speaking oh, of the... Deadpool... That Firestorm Giant-size man-thing. Nope. I I want to talk about Firestorm for another 15 minutes. Yeah, welcome to my DC year. Today's episode is a focus on Firestorm, the nuclear man. It's a better concept than it actually is a comic, but yeah. The year is 2005. The concept is a very specific (laughs) Firestorm element. All right, yeah, let's let's go to Masters of Kung Fu. Giant-size Kung Fu. The first story, Death Mask. What did you think Uh, of... Kung Fu. So the first story here is by Doug Mensch, Paul Galechi, Dan Adkins, Paul Goldberg, Artie Simek, and Roy Thomas on edits. Fu Manchu sends a bunch of assassins over to take out Shang-Chi on his birthday. He says, happy birthday, not happy death day. Sends a bunch of assassins after him. It's like okay. Kung Fu What are you noir. doing? <laughs> what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm recapping the, the show. Yeah, you turned comic. into like an AM radio DJ. Happy birthday, <laughs> not happy death day. Oh my god, uh, That's I was how listening. Fu Manchu talks, man. I turned on the uh, the radio the other day in my car, which I never do. Like, never listen to FM radio. Yeah, and there was some talk show thing with two guys on in the morning, and they were like, no. "In celebrity news this morning, Kevin Hart crashed his Barracuda on the side of the road and is now hospitalized." And then simultaneously the two hosts went mmm barracuda (laughs) and it was incredible like it was the most stereotypical like this is shock jock morning radio excellent we definitely need to do more timed uh overlap you know i love they're just like "Mm, barracuda three people were 
killed in the accident. <laughs> no, they, they didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, this is cool. I really like the opening of it, which is Shang-Chi walking in the street, and he comes across a, like, a, a sawdust-filled mannequin of him hanging from a light pole. Like, very, very creepy. Yeah. And then this this whole issue, I guess we can kind of sum up as... It is a series of assassins sent after Shang-Chi until he eventually infiltrates Fu Manchu's base and kind of tries to strike at Fu Manchu from inside his base. And they have this like interesting conceit where Fu Manchu has a council of seven assassins. And <laughs> the idea is that like two of them get killed. They uh, they eat cyanide capsules when uh, they lose to Shang-Chi. And so now it's a council of five and Fu Manchu like rings his gong twice and two more people just walk in. Which, the idea of just, like, there's a waiting room outside of Fu Manchu's, uh, yeah. Fu Manchu's council room of just people who are, like, I don't know, qualified assassins waiting to enter the room. You know what's weird about Fu Manchu is, like, there's so much baggage that we know now about the character and his creation yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and cultural, you know, basically just giant problems that, that came with his creation. He is so far and away, like, the version, like, just the, the scheming mastermind that I wanted to see from, like, the Mandarin. You yeah, know, he's a much he better debuts. version of the Mandarin. Like, he's yeah. a really great Shang-Chi villain. Like, the stuff he's doing here is is kind of disturbing. It's, like, as, you know, comic booky kung fu goes, is a council of assassins is a really fun idea. His, his table, the table that they all sit at, is half of a yin-yang, but just the black half. Yeah. It's yeah, it's really neat. Yeah, and um, he's got he's got that flair for the dramatic, you know, like the things like we're gonna we're gonna take the time to stuff an effigy uh, of Shang Chi and hang it from a you know the light posts outside. Oh, or several times. There's a moment where uh, someone's reporting like, uh, "I'm sorry, Master, but your assassin failed." And but then they say, "But she was able to activate the trap door in the ceiling to drop the the body of Shang, the mannequin of Shang Chi," and he's like. Ah, well, at least there's that. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> he's very pleased, at least, that, like, the second mannequin was received. We spent forever on that mannequin. So as long as he <laughs> got to see that. Yeah, th- I think the twist in this issue is pretty easy to see coming. It's also still pretty good um, of the, is there know, a twist? the assassin. I don't yeah, it's the assassin you don't think is an assassin initially. Uh, I don't. I guess everybody's going to hear oh, so yeah, talk no. about it. That, the woman that he saves, yeah. and, they, and they kind of start to have like a little flirtation. Uh, she, yeah, it turns out she's was, also yeah. an assassin. So it was super obvious. Um, God, not, but not it was a good also, assassin. Because I would have put on no. poison lipstick. If she'd just put on poison lipstick, boom, dead. Would have got. Well, you're people don't realize you're always wearing poison lipstick. Never <laughs> you just kiss me. Have it ready, and yeah, never kiss him. Uh, I've gone good. through four wives since the beginning of my marvelous year club. Just so yeah. everyone knows, I keep talking about my wife, but this is getting real personal for you. <laughs> very generally, generally, it's always been a new one each time. That's right. Yeah, and they've all had the exact same name, which is kind of wild. Um, so, <laughs> on uh, page thirty-four and thirty-five of this giant-sized master of kung fu, there are kung fu lessons, and boy, Ooh, do yeah. I love this! Pretty cool, so fun. Marvel's just leaning into like the kung fu craze. I wish they would do more stuff like this. This is awesome. I this issue is very very fun. Mench and Galachi are excellent at these Shang Chi kung fu stories. I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, I did too. I don't think I liked it quite as much as the first one, but I thought it was pretty good. Maybe just because the action didn't work quite as well. But well, his debut, yeah. you got Starlin on art, which is a yeah. you know, it's a, yeah. it's a tough Hard hill to, to climb. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked one moment where Shang Chi said that, uh, so, like some assassin made him feel hatred, and he goes, "I despise hatred." 
which is pretty good. He um, also makes a a um like a lobby like a security guard. It says to him like, "Hey, you're not wearing shoes." Cheng <laughs> Chi's like, "Why would you wear shoes? Aren't you separated from the earth enough as it is?" And just totally blows this guy's mind. Like he's never yeah. gonna wear shoes again. I love that. <laughs> the guy moment. just falls back into his chair and just like his head's lolling on his his neck, and that's how <laughs> Shang Chi gets by him. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it wouldn't be a My Moves Here episode if I didn't, uh, you know, get into something that I think is offensive. I didn't realize this till like two thirds of the way through the issue, but all the Asians in this comic are Simpsons yellow. Did you notice this? I didn't, no. like, I don't think I noticed it because I kind of thought it was just a coloring choice, you know, that that's the way they were coloring people, but, like, it came into stark relief when uh, they ran into some white people who were generally normal flesh-colored. So you uh, think it's Shang- like, a, like a caricature, almost Yeah, coloring. yeah, they're, you know, it's like the, the yellow Chinese. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just gross. Whatever. I don't need to say anything more about it. I think... Hopefully they stop coloring them. I mean, it's just like a bright yellow. <laughs> you know, yeah. they literally look like Simpsons characters. Yeah. Uh, also, there That's are some good. slurs in here. Um, I don't even want to repeat them because they're actually like some pretty bad. Oh, Chinese yeah, you're slur. right. Where like they're villains, like it's an assassin, but it's still just like, that's eh, a little out of place. We didn't really need like to throw that around. You know, it would just be the same as like if Nick in a Nick Cage comic, someone was just throwing around like nasty slurs for what did I say? Nick Fury? Nick no, Cage? Nick Cage? Nick Luke Cage. God. Hang on. Where are you getting your Nick Cage comics? Because I need to be collecting these. <laughs> yeah, but Luke Cage comics, someone, you know, yeah. like cuz we we experience that like they've had there's racism in these comics, but they don't get into like explicit slurs and it would be yeah, totally they'll... inappropriate. And it's just the kind of fact that like Chinese people don't get the same kind of cash cultural cachet that it's fine for them to use some like nasty slurs in here. Yeah, it's, it's got a weird air of acceptability that I, I do remember feeling like, oh, geez, like they thought that was cool. I mean, there's definitely a moment, um, or not that they thought it was cool, but they thought it was like, well, we can say that. And yeah, it's the bad guy yeah, talking, I'm, but it's you know acceptable yeah. to print. Um, Marvel's, they're definitely like, I, that's that's a, a time thing where like there's a realization, I think, because I'm thinking of a very specific uh, X-Men moment in the 80s where there's a similar slur drop and it's just like holy cow they published that so it's um mm, yeah you know, that is that is a part of their i mean their we're, we're not there. even talking about the uh that whole little mini stories about yellow claw that like man the art in that is offensive that is golden age like you know so caricatures there's a flashback of, here of um of one of the early 50s fu manchu appearances right yeah yeah I, I mean i don't think it's literally like pulled from the 50s but it looks like one of those old comics where like which every, is called yellow claw yeah which I mean, that name by itself, but like, yeah, every appearance, every Asian character in this is the most, like, their eyes are at 45 degrees, right? Like the slant of their eyes. Do you know how they fixed the yellow claw uh, in the no. 2000s? No, what did they? And I, Just I, called them claw? I'm going to say this is a this is a claw spoiler for those of you Agents of Atlas fans out there that <laughs> are waiting. I'm sure it's so fine. Skip ahead 15 seconds. Uh, they renamed him the Golden Claw. And uh, there you it kind of yeah. immediately solves all it's the just problems. Just that easy. Very yeah. good Agents of Atlas series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean that. Mostly the issue with this is the art. The artwork in this is like the worst stereotypical drawings of uh, of Asian characters. But I don't know. I mean, part of that is like I am. I I don't know. I genuinely don't know how much that would have stood out to a 1975 reader. But like those those drawings are definitely coded as like offensive political propaganda now. You know, mm. the same kind of stuff that would have been used at the time. So, yeah. anyway, I mean, worth calling out. I still uh, I still really enjoyed it. Um, 
Let's move on to Avengers 128 and 129. These are two separate stories. And the first one is Scarlet Witch, Agatha Harkness, and Necrodamus. Necrodamus, Necrodamus. Oh, um, hello, I'm Necrodamus. After the events of the wedding of Crystal and Quicksilver, everyone returns and uh, Agatha Harkness in particular, that's in, in that story, if you remember, Franklin Richards came out of his coma <laughs> and uh, was super powerful for a moment and then reverted to boy-like state. Everyone on the Fantastic Four thought, great, he's fine. <laughs> I don't know why boy-like state really got me. A boy-like state. And uh, and then Agatha Harkness said, cool, I'm out as his carekeeper then. He's fine now. I only liked watching him when he was in a coma and couldn't get into trouble. Um, so she then decides to take on Scarlet Witch as a magic-wielding protege. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Zach. This is the first we've gotten of the Scarlet Witch actually being a witch? <laughs> like yes. the idea of yes, magic, because, right? Yes, yes, yes. So they're like, they're introducing the idea that the Scarlet Witch is not just using like this kind of vaguely defined mutant hex powers. Um, they are specifically... now she has vaguely defined witch powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But like, I they they, they use this phrase I really liked, which is like, "Your namesake is not just poetry, but reality." Something like that. Uh, you know, basically, like your name isn't just you know, I don't know. It's not just this fanciful name that was given to you. Like there is a a. You know, there's a truth behind. It's it's more truth than poetry, I think, is what they say. Yeah, so Agatha, Agatha Harkness decides to start training Scarlet Witch in the ways of magic. And this do is you like this turn for, for Wanda? 70... Yeah, 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 I do. I do I mean, a lot, I think it's actually. Been, I think she's been kind of... I don't know, she doesn't have much going on. Like, her powers are like, I can I can make a your armoire fall over if you don't have too many clothes in it. Like her power, her power set is very armoire based, which I think is a mistake. And it is also <laughs> like she's not the most interesting things about Wanda, aside from her romance with Vision, of course, is the fact that she's a mutant and she's a mutant on the Avengers, and they really don't deal a lot with that in this era of Avengers. So instead, so if they're not going to deal with that, I think yeah, go ahead and talk about the ways that she is uh, connected to magic because that is a realm the Avengers have not really been playing with a ton. You know, so that's the biggest development for Wanda here. There's uh, a I think this is the issue where Mantis reveals that she also is in love with the vision, which is bananas. Apparently, every woman who joins the Avengers is just falling head over heels for the sex prankster. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's like two of the, you know, most eligible bachelorettes in Marvel Comics right now are both fawning over a pretty blank slate of a character. Like, meanwhile, who is. Hawkeye just kissed another woman on the street, and she punched him right in the gut. <laughs> and so he quit the Avengers again. That's that's off of... panel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's this other thing where the swordsman and Mantis came into the Avengers together, and the basically the man the Mantis Mantis rehabilitated swordsman. She's the reason why he's like come over to the side of the heroes and like found his potential and he loves her and he's explaining this to her and she's like kind of keeping him at arm's length and when she finally rejects him and says that she's not interested anymore he flies off the handle in a really crazy way which is he's just like she walks out of the room and he draws his sword and he's like i'll kill her i'll kill her i hate her and it's just like whoa whoa it they the comic does not treat it like Oh, he's a psychopath who just decided to, like, kill a woman who spurned him? Like, Iron Man and, uh, 
Thor, I think. At least Iron Man comes in the room and just like, hey there, bud, we know what you're going through. You just gotta cool it. <laughs> it's like, no, like, it's, it's not like you're talking like, to a friend who, you know, is having some, uh, you know, some romance troubles and is, right, is dealing yeah, and with not, them responsibly. Not just saying, like, she, <laughs> she rejected me. I'm going to go decapitate this woman. I feel you know, like an acceptable like, response there would be, put the sword down. <laughs> Call and, like, down, You swordsman. are no longer an Avenger, sir. Also, yeah, yes, yeah. you are clearly not rehabilitated. Yeah, it's a bad look. Um for the swordsman it's a bad look for romance all around in this one Clear- <laughs> like romance everyone is, is failing and uh it is kind of fascinating that avengers is like this is it's a romance issue you know like it's a it's a young well love it's issue. also a I, I love all this is happening in literally two doors down the hallway agatha harkness and scarlet witch are being attacked by necrodamus and his like box of souls Never. Do you not find? Ne- I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I think the name Necrodamus is the funniest thing. Like it would just it. It's right up there if like his name was like Necro Gary, to me. Just like, oh, uh, hello, I'm Necrodamus. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. <laughs> like, I'm just, glad it, you enjoyed. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it really gets me. Totally um, normal name. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, that that's kind of the first story. The second story is split between. Avengers 129 and Giant Size Avengers number two. And this is fine, I guess. I didn't love it because Kang the Conqueror does not do it for me. I think his face is stupid and his oh, wow. uh, words are stupider. Oh, wow. Comes after his Take looks, that. then his talks. Uh, yeah, this is the Celestial Madonna saga. It oh, this, is written the thing by is, Steve Englehart. Okay, okay, what, what is the thing about the Celestial Madonna saga? Because I still don't know that I understand. I got a, I got a, lot, a lot about this. 1975 part one, we're going to talk about like the whole culmination of the Celestial Madonna thing. Yeah. I read that first before reading these, sure. and I absolutely did not need to read these in order to know what was going on in 1975 part one. Like, these, these are the most boring part of that whole thing. Like, I clipped these out accidentally, and it didn't matter to my understanding. So we should have just jumped ahead. That's what you're saying, huh? I don't know. Or just read... Maybe some Hulk. Hulk was pretty good. Um, we got Or Spider-Man. Did we read Spider-Man this year? I don't remember if we read any for 74 Part 1. It's been a while. Yeah, we read we... a bunch of Spider-Man. Yeah. We read okay. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 issues of Spidey. So slow yeah. your roll all right, on the all list right, critiques. All right. So... Okay, there's a prophecy that there's a celestial Madonna who will mate with the most powerful man on Earth and produce, like, the most powerful being in the universe. And Kang the Conqueror shows up because he wants to be that powerful man that mates with the celestial Madonna, which is real gross if you think about it for, like, one second. That is Uh, pretty well summarized, and it summarizes the grossness. (laughs) And then there's a weird thing where he shows up and he's just like, oh, oh, a star shows up above the Avengers mansion. Right? That's that's pretty funny. Like, it's literally, you know, it's the star of David guiding the three shepherds in, except that it's guiding Agatha, or... It's guiding Kang the Conqueror to... Guiding Kang to the Avengers Mansion in order to take the Madonna, as he puts it, which is... uh, Slow it down, Kang. Um, I I do want to call out here, that star is placed above Avengers Mansion by the Watcher in Captain Marvel number 39. Ooh, weird. Weird little deet, yeah. And the Watcher did it. Basically, just to be like, oh, I was excited about the Madonna. I wanted to celebrate. <laughs> I read about that whole Jesus thing, and I thought I'd uh, you yeah, know, try it out be, myself. I thought it'd be cool. You know, I thought I'd intervene for <laughs> once. And uh, and he brings Kang to their door. So thanks a lot, Uwati. And Kang decides that the Celestial Madonna, he's narrowed it down to three people. Mantis, 
Scarlet Witch or Agatha Harkness? <laughs> oh, I wish like, he had gone with Agatha. I can, I can probably narrow that down t- for two to you. Uh, two, t- I can narrow that down two, two for you. Oh boy. Um, Very Fox and Socks. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I've been reading too many Dr. Seuss books, too much. Yeah, yeah. That's what that is. And the whole comic is like hinting that it's definitely Scarlet Witch. Like everyone agrees it's Scarlet Witch. She's yeah. the Celestial Madonna. And it's like a big twist at the end that it turns out to be Mantis, who we don't really know that much about. Um, but I have very little to say about this. Kang shows up. He's from the future. But then also um, Rama Tut shows up to yeah, help it- the Avengers fight. King, which I, I liked as a little twist. This worked yeah, okay for I me. think the piece that I like is, yes, exactly that, is that the time travel wildness of this story um, includes Ramatut, which is Kang's old self from But Egyptian now his times. future self. But now his future self. Kang's timelines, man, it is. it will blow your mind. I don't think it's even a flat circle, I gotta say. It feels like a very um, spheroid-type geometrical shape and Kang yeah I mean it's Kang versus the Avengers versus Rama Tut um the whole Celestial Madonna thing like Zach said it's gonna keep going like we're gonna get more about this in 75 part one but yeah it's Mantis and it does give it gives Mantis this you know definitely new sort of like what is her deal Avenger something to hang her head on you know it's like okay she's the Celestial Madonna what's that gonna mean um I think this issue if I remember correctly, also ends with the sacrifice of the swordsman. Yep. Yep. So Kane, which feels uh, to me like a, like this was their plan to be like, well, we're going to have him act like a murderous jerk, but then yep. he's going to sacrifice himself and show that really he was oh, it's a gentleman a total, like, all along. I mean, they never even really vilify him for wanting to kill her for not like accepting his, uh, like flirting. So yeah, no, it, it's this redemptive thing where he sacrifices her, sacrifices himself to save Mantis. And she's like, Oh no, I never realized how brave you were. I loved you all along. Blah, blah, blah. I was thinking, Oh good. I'm glad like this whole swordsman thing is done. It's not like next year. There's this gets weird, weird, weird next year. I'm, I'm excited for people to hear it because like, this is some of the, like the strangest stuff that we've seen in Marvel so far. Is the stuff that's about to happen with Mantis, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Do you remember yeah, everything? This? You're not gonna read no, it, I was gonna but... say everything. Celestial Madonna is like I could read it once a year and never be able to tell you oh, what no, the heck you'll... happened. If you if you, were, you don't remember the. <laughs> <laughs> Did you forget that? I completely forgot that. Okay, this is I gotta listen to the next year's up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of crazy. You know what's frustrating is that like this story starts here and gets big and expansive and pretty wild in 1975. And I looked it up today. This Celestial Madonna thing goes nowhere. Like this, you know, prophecy about a child that will be the most powerful in the universe, blah, blah, blah. Like it barely has a Wikipedia page. Like, I think that's looks... why it's so fuzzy in my memory is because, right, because I, it leads, I never it quite realize where it ends. There's um, it's... there's a 2000 series called Celestial Quest or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's got Thanos in it's, it, and people have told related. me I should include it on my Thanos reading order on Comic Book Herald, and I have resolutely refused. Maybe we'll have to revisit that here as we do the club. Anyway, yeah, so this, this is good, but it's kind of frustrating that it doesn't ultimately matter. Um... Yeah, these are fun. I don't know. I, I'm I'm more excited about these next year. 1975, they get, like, very weird. And we get some, like, inc- 
the most convoluted stories that we're going to see in Marvel so far, like the most like tangled you know, mess of Marvel continuity. Coming yeah, right yeah, up. yeah. That that's kind of fun in the way that it honors like the last thirty years of Marvel comics. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So with that in mind, let's get to a couple comics that I think are a little bit more exciting in the present. The last two we're going to talk about today: Incredible Hulk number one eighty and one eighty one. As we teased, this is going to be the debut of the Wolverine. And the first story, though, is called And the Wind Howled Windigo. This is by Len Wein, Herb Trimp, Jack Abel on inks, Artie Simek on letters, Glennis Wein on colors, who has done, like, all the colors, which I think is kind of interesting, um, throughout these issues, and Roy Thomas on edits. This is, uh, we got Hulk in the Canadian wild. He's fighting a pack of Canadian wolves. And the Canadian government says it's time to mobilize Weapon X. And this is Wolverine. I don't have any. I was like, <laughs> that was a long. Some... That was a pregnant pause right there. Well, I thought I was gonna have some kind of like you know flashy way of saying like this is our bad boy to the north. Our bad boy b- to b- the <laughs> north. See, that's. I mean, that's what I was avoiding saying because that's all that was stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to come up with something better than that. Um, Wolverine Classic looks... bad boy to the north. Yeah, yeah so this know, is the Hulk gets boys. into... Well, yeah, you got a lot of northern bad boys. Uh, Hulk gets into a fight he runs into here. There's uh, some Canadian people that are in the woods, and he runs into this monster known as the Wendigo, this giant white furry beast, very sasquatch Invincible. It is basically invincible, it is powered, and it is a cannibal. So we can sort of learn throughout the course of this issue that the way the Wendigo... It, it eats people, first of all, and no, it, it arises. Oh, it arises when someone like turns cannibal. They right, can right, right, be right. imbued with this evil spirit. So this of man, the Wendigo, it's like, a curse. Yeah, this man, uh, I can't remember his name, but like it, it fell into some harsh circumstances where he had to eat some people, as you know is understandable. Uh, and then he became the Wendigo, and now his sister is trying to transfer the curse of the Wendigo to the Hulk because she's already like, she thinks, oh, he's already like a cursed man. What does it matter if I, you know, pile one more curse on him? He won't even notice. And so Hulk like, meets her. He sort of trusts her. She drugs him, puts him to sleep. And then they're kind of concocting a lot of human. Like she feeds him a bunch of meat and they go on about how good this food is. And there's this other man here who's just like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like you've crossed a, you know, a line of no return or something. And it's like, implied that she's feeding the hulk human which they don't underline i was waiting for them to underline no she like tricks the hulk explicit. to eating human i pretty hulk i'm eats pretty human. sure i'm like 90 percent sure that that's true they don't they don't spell it out but it's pretty obvious i think and my if question you, for you dave if you were tricked oh what's what's your question oh, okay yeah that's actually a good question okay uh if i tricked you into eating human and mm-hmm. you were like that was a delicious meal yeah yeah and then i was like Hate to break it to you, bud. That was people. Would you be mad? <laughs> Just straight up? Yeah, I'd be a little mad. I was going to ask a different question. If I tricked you into eating human, would you want to know? After the fact. Or would you rather just uh, think, that was a good meal, Dave Cook? Yeah, you can tell me. I don't care. I'd eat a human. Don't care? What? What's the big deal? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you guys, Zach just turned well, white no, I mean, did you... and furry, and he's giant now, and I think he's basically immortal. I'm sa- Like, did you murder somebody for this meat, or was it, like, a naturally occurring? Because otherwise, I mean, it's just kind it's... of a waste not to eat him. A waste? This, yeah. is, what you, this is what you think of yeah, corpses. Yeah. Okay, hot takes coming in here. On the MMY okay, pod. Okay, Next here's... poll. Write to us at mymarvelousyear@gmail.com. Do Would you, you approve eat of eating humans? <laughs> um, okay. Here's you know what? I, you know what movie I Would... could never watch? 
um, without just being completely terrified. Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, did you see? Uh, have you seen Hannibal? Where I like, can't, come on, I can't ooh, touch that. I will not sleep. Hannibal's again. rough because uh, Hannibal like open paralyzes Ray Liotta. Yeah, I, I've and seen they, this scene. I, I know what you're talking about. And feeds him. Ugh, that that is like that crosses a weird line for me. That makes me that very gives me the hibbijibbies. It's just something about it is so well, unsettling. I, there's something about it just touching somebody's bare brain that's really upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. But alone cutting it out and feeding it to you. Was um, he touching pure corpus callosum? Do you remember? Shut shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay so okay uh, enough of no, that no, no no i have another question for you oh Would, i was hoping yeah yeah so as, as it's been established in 2018 immortal hulk mm-hmm. mm. the hulk is immortal or yeah, yeah. something i don't know uh i mean i'm assuming from the title but so i'm guessing it's like you could cut off a big like hulk steak right off that uh like quadricep right oh and it'll grow back kind of thing? it'll grow back so would you eat hulk I, you know, you could translate transition this to um, as well because it's the debut. Has Wolverine ever eaten parts of himself, and should he? Right? I think these are fair questions, uh, especially for people who might be starving in certain times or another, or just be curious. If you're living, Quit basically, the question: Would you eat Hulk? I, if we were in a world with a Hulk, and somebody said, "Hey, I got the juiciest Hulk rib you've ever seen," I'd yeah, try it. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. It, it would feel more like eating an animal. Okay, and here's yeah, the thing, though. I'm calling Hulk an animal. If you just ate Hulk meat and Hulk just ate human meat, did you just eat human? If I ate a ti- if I ate tiger meat <gasps> after a tiger oh, ate a human, you know what's amazing? Okay, I'd be worried about. So that. I was going to announce at the end of this episode who my Hang guest on. star was going to be. Yeah. No, no, I got, I got, I got something. I and, then, and while we were talking about this, he said, "Guys, this conversation's gross. Don't air my episode. I don't <laughs> want to be associated with you." Okay, so the the person I'm going to have on the show has a podcast. Uh, and they talked, I don't even know how this came up, but he introduced one of my like favorite moments on this show. He introduced the concept of meat laundering, okay, which awesome. is the idea of like, hey, you want to eat a human? Well, feed that human to another animal and then eat that animal. Technically, you're scot-free, but you just got a little <laughs> human in you. So that's like a same idea. Just uh, yeah. eat some Hulk and uh, you just laundered that meat. <laughs> clever clever you're, i like it a yeah, lot you're a cannibal um, this and, has gotten oh, a lot more interesting than i expected it to i gotta yeah, say it's good uh so I, I guess i should just mention right now i'll bring it up uh the guest host for 1975 i'll just insert it right here is gary butterfield of the duckfeed.tv podcast network uh lots of really cool podcasts their probably flagship show is watch out for fireballs which is a video game book club podcast which i modeled my marvelous year after um like if you go listen to that show i feel like we uh really tried to make this show very similar in tone and structure mm-hmm. uh as well as probably his most comic booky podcast is days of future cast which is a like 90s x-men animated series rewatch i think they're actually watching the hulk animated series now because they finished x-men a whole network of shows over there all really cool stuff um so yeah yeah look forward to that 1975 part one it was an awesome episode to record and i think a great replacement for dave yeah no i'm looking forward to enjoying my retirement (laughs) um zach has been uh talking about this podcast constantly slash weaseling his way to kick me off the show constant even more constantly uh so i think this is probably best case scenario for everyone involved so Looking forward to that. In the meantime, let's else. finish these <laughs> Hulk issues. I don't think there's anything else of note that happens in these issues. So. Yeah, yeah. So now that we've covered our takes some, some guy on in yellow shows up and yells, and uh, that's it. So uh, 
See you next year. <laughs> See ya next year, Wolverine. Yeah, so Hulk and Windigo are fighting. Wolverine shows up. There's a spl- uh, splash on 180 that introduces the Wolverine. That transitions to the next issue, 181, which is the official debut of Wolverine as Wait, a fighter. So who, here, who wrote this? He, Len Wein? Len Wein and Herb Trimp are the so, creators of, so of they Wolverine. Are, yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. You know, they're not like... I think I Roy mean, Thomas gets uh, maybe a co-creator credit, actually, too. Yeah, very interesting. Because the thing is, like, this is not really the Wolverine. That he yeah, shows so up next year in X-Men. I wanted to like, ask you about that, because he shows up. He's a, he's a little closer to Wolverine than I think you might expect, because it's not the Wolverine from X-Men. It's not Logan and Bub and all that. But uh, he's pretty tough. He's a great fighter. I do wonder how compelling would you have found him as a character here if you didn't know this is the GD Wolverine, you know? The Wait, did you just say a swear? Do I have to bleep that? No. Okay. The gory uh, dude could... Wolverine. Oh, uh, okay. Good, 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 good. Um, No, I think this would be lame. The great dancer <laughs> honestly. Wolverine. Yeah. The great... <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I think this would be lame, uh, honestly, if you didn't, if Wolverine wasn't Wolverine and I wasn't like, oh, it's Wolverine. I think this would be like, wh- why is this guy inserted in the middle of this? Like, yeah, the, the Wendigo, things I like here the are they call him is... Weapon X. He's part of the Canadian government, and he yep. kind of handles his own against the Hulk um, and really stands a chance in a pretty good throwdown battle. But it feels like out of nowhere, like this feels like, oh, there's a, there's a pretty interesting thing going on with the Hulk and Wendigo. And then here's a man with claws on his knuckles. And have you read that uh, they initially were planning like those were gloves, like in their minds yeah. while they were drawing these issues, like he had, uh, you know, claw gloves on. Yeah, so they are adamantium. That is established, but yes. in the in the visual design, it is like they're probably gloves. They're not coming out of his skin, at least potentially at this point, even though that's not really isolated. Uh, another crucial thing here is Wolverine and the Hulk kind of take a nap together. So that's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, oh. And uh, yeah, that's that's Wolverine's debut. The um, the Windigo here. What happens to the actual Windigo? The boyfriend of the sister of the Windigo. Finally has a crisis like, of conscience. and she's he's dressed like, like a Viking for I don't know why. Well, it's just Canadian dress for the era. Um, he he finally says, like, I can't. This is insane. We can't, you know, place this curse on anyone else. He goes, and he takes on the curse of the Windigo for himself so that no one else will have to take it. Now, I didn't really think through the logistics here, but presumably this means he walks into that cave, eats a stew of human... Which where are they getting all this human? First of yeah. all, like where where are uh, they I don't think getting this? Where are they stockpiling ask. it? I I just I don't I don't want to know, but I gotta ask the question. And uh, and he takes on the Windigo curse for himself. Wolverine and the Hulk they basically end in a stalemate. You know, not no one has won. I think if anything, Wolverine has kind of lost, but not totally. Um, and we will see a rematch of these two, very very well executed in the 1980s. But for the time being, that's Wolverine. Oh, I love He's here. their. Uh... Like we'll get to it eventually, eventually, eventually. But the ultimate version of Hulk versus Wolverine, I think, is real fun. It's actually a really compelling version. It's like of this, a four-issue yeah. miniseries that like is very, very wild. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's also wanna, the one that much. I thought was the debut for the longest time, like well before I'd ever read these comics. I think um I just thought that's what happened, like in the real quote-unquote origin of Wolverine and the Hulk. But we will talk about that one in the ultimate, my ultimate year pod. Should we? Get the support of the likes of you over on patreon.com slash year. If we hit our next goal, we'll be doing an Ultimate Universe Reading Club and Podcast Companion here alongside My Marvelous Year. And, of course, you can see all the other benefits and bonuses you can get on the Patreon channel there. Is there anything about 1974 Part 2 
you want to talk about, Zach, before we uh, finish things up? The, yeah, it feels like the biggest um, this and then especially next year. It's really going to happen next year. Feels just like this universe of Marvel Comics is getting huge. Mm-hmm. And like there it is. It is becoming uh, like untenable, completely untenable to read everything. There's just way too many because we've got all our mainline stories and then there's like they're constantly introducing new heroes. There's the team ups. There's the two in ones. There's the presents, the premieres, the previews. Those are all different things. Astonishing tales, amazing adventures like, yeah, there, there's just so much right now and it's all weaving in and out of each other and it's getting messy, but it's kind of fun the way that like, you know, stuff is starting to lean on the history and it, it really does feel like kind of a dawning of a new era of superhero comics, which is interesting because Roy Thomas has been with us for a while and he's still the one overseeing this, but I think, I think it might just be fueled by the like new creative voices, um, mm-hmm. Who might have been people who are, you know, reading these comics as they were growing up and now starting to really integrate that. We might be seeing the first of that, like, you know, comics written by generations of people who are reading this series of comics as children and teenagers. And now they are bringing their love, their childhood appreciation, folding it back in. Because we're going to get, next year especially, we're going to get, like, Golden Age and Silver Age references all over the place. That's a really interesting point because we see that a lot today of creators who... You know, clearly they grew up in the 90s, let's say, and those influences are all yeah, over the page right, of what they're right. doing currently. So, yeah, the idea that now you'd have character creators in the 70s doing the same sort of thing, you know, look at like Jim Starlin being like, yeah, Jack Kirby and Jim Starenko, those are my guys. Um, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, we're going to move on to 1975 part one. Again, you can find all the reading lists for My Marvelous Year comics over at uh, the show notes here on the pod you can find him at patreon.com slash my this year or if you subscribe to the combo carol email newsletter i send out the list before we do the episodes as well music for my marvel this year is by disaster piece that's disaster p-e-a-c-e you can find all their music anywhere that you listen to sounds and um <laughs> what, what else do we got zach is that it uh yeah if you uh if you kind of want to get a taste if you want to get a taste stop of gary it. butterfield stop it we didn't eat Network. our guest I would, uh, I'd recommend, uh, either, yeah, like I said, watch out for Fireballs, the book club, video game book club podcast. They pick a new game each episode and cover it. I think, let me see, what's a good episode of that show? I don't know. I don't know what I'm specific. Yeah, uh, there's that podcast and then Days of Future Cast. I don't know if I said Days of Future Past earlier, but Days of Future Cast. No, you said Cast. That one sounds I? fun. Okay. I, I yeah. quite love the yeah, animated it's good. series. Yeah, I, I don't watch the animated show. Like, I didn't I didn't watch it as a kid, so, like, it's kind of tough just to sit and watch as an adult. Have you never seen it? But I, I mean, like, in pieces. Or you tried I this... and it's too late. Yeah, it's too late. Like, I loved the Spider-Man show as a kid. For whatever reason, whenever the X-Men show came on as a kid, I was totally turned off by it. Like, it just... <laughs> I wild. really... I really hated the style of it when I was a kid. It was, like, way too aggressive for me, I think. Huh. But I love Spider-Man. Um, but, yeah, I listened to the show without actually watching <laughs> the episodes along with them, and it's mm. still very entertaining. So, yeah, check that out. Cool, cool, cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next year. Oh, wait, there's a poll. Eh, I, there. God, it has been four weeks since we recorded part one, I think. Go on over to Patreon and, and check out Yeah, it must be there. So, yeah, check it out, because I if my life depended on it i could not remember what it was um yep okay oh see you next year now now this time we'll see you next year just like last time see you next year i'm cutting that out bye no absolutely